Hello and welcome to the Growth Mindset Podcast, where we turn your brain from a seedling to a fully grown tree with just a few episodes. I'm your host, Lavat Irshad, and I'll be a personal gardener as we dig up old limiting beliefs and plan new empowering ones. Our podcast covers almost everything you need to know about personal, professional, financial, and spiritual growth. Each episode features successful leaders who will share their stories and strategies to transform you into your best self. So grab your watering can and hit that subscribe button. Let's get growing. Hey, Peter, first thing first, thank you so much for taking your time out and joining us on the Growth Mindset Podcast. It is a pleasure to have you here. Uh, the pleasure is mine. Awesome. Peter, before we get into your introductions, there are two questions that my listeners would be really interested to know about. Uh, and I want you to kind of give a quick insight as to how would you tackle or typically answer those questions. The first question actually being, how can people deliver great presentations in online meetings like Zoom, Google Meet, and so on? So the name of the game in online meetings and successful online meetings is to drive interactivity. 99% of all presentations done over tools like Zoom start off with the phrase, can you see my screen? And then it's talk, 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 click, click, click. If it's a presentation, it's talk, 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 click, talk, click, talk, if it's a demo. And occasionally interspersed with the phrase from the presenter, any questions so far? And the typical response sounds something like crickets in an empty room. So drive interactivity. And the way you do that, by asking questions, by engaging, and by using the tools, such as the annotation tools and chat in Zoom and similar tools. So instead of simply putting up a slide and discussing it, use the annotation tools to draw circles around elements, to highlight things, and then engage with larger audiences by asking questions that you ask them to respond to in chat, for example. That actually enables a two-way bi-directional dialogue to take place. So that would be the summary. It's all about interactivity and driving interactivity through two major means, asking questions and looking for comments and feedback, and then using the tools such as the annotation tools that are available in Zoom and related types of technology. Interesting. We'll get to uh, even the deeper portions of this to kind of understand how could we do that. Uh, This was the first question that I've heard a lot of people asking. That's why I asked you that as the first question. The second question, this is to do with offline meetings, right? So does dressing well impact our offline presentations or demos by any chance and how it is received by the audience? And is there any scientific proof behind it as well? So expectations and expectations management are probably the two major phrases, if you will, that um, surrounding how you look. So expectations, what are they expecting you to look like? What do you want them to expect? In other words, how do you want to represent would be my guidance on this. So many people will say you should dress uh, one level up or down, if you will, from (laughs) expectation and from what your audience is looking for. Um, But at the same time, you may also want to represent yourself in a certain way. So for example, if you're a salesperson, there's a general feeling, no scientific proof, that that they should be, you know, formally dressed or more formally attired than uh, the typical person. Similarly, engineers and scientific folks generally want to be perceived uh, as more casual, and so they may actually dress down a level. So I finesse this. I'm I'm exactly in between. So for example, I'm wearing a shirt with a few buttons, but it's not a full button-down shirt. For example, um, it's not long sleeve; it's short sleeve, and I definitely do not have a tie on. So 
what I'm trying to do here is appeal to people that might be high level executives to, and at the same time appeal to people that might be engineers or scientists uh, all in the same room. So on that question, is there any scientific proof? Not that I know of. Interesting. So now we've covered two basic most common questions that I've come across that my uh, audience typically ask. But now let's, uh, would you like to give a quick introduction about Peter? Uh, what do you do and what you're all about? So what do I do? What I try to do is to, in small but significant ways, change the world for the better. <laughs> and in this case, it's one demo and one discovery conversation at a time. But that's not really the answer you're looking for to this question. So uh, I was born in a log cabin in 1822. Oh, wait. Um, trained in chemistry originally, worked in a lab for a number of years, moved into software for uh, pharmaceutical and chemicals research. So selling to scientists, um, did that for about uh, 13, 15 years and then joined a company that was um, breaking through a new technology called combinatorial chemistry and high throughput screening uh, applied to material science. Uh, so we were finding uh, ways to discover and optimize uh, new materials, electronics, phosphors, catalysts, uh, coatings, and so forth in order or two of magnitude faster than a traditional approaches. And I joined that company to actually look at how to commercialize some of the systems, software, and know-how that we had put together. And did that for about five years. And then in uh, 2003, founded this business and haven't looked back. And this business is all, it has been called Great Demo, or it is Great Demo. And it's all about, as I said, making the world better, one demo and one discovery conversation at a time. So I hope that helps. Interesting. Definitely it does. And this is an interesting part that I want to really dive into. So great demo. You've built a business around it. You've written a book published in 2005. Would you like to tell my audience an idea as to what great demo is all about? So uh, great demo is all about getting to the point rapidly. Um, an origin story is probably worthwhile. So this is way back around the turn of the century. Um, I was leading the, the, a team uh, who, as I said, we were commercializing this technology, and we had gotten to the point where we had a sizable enough sales organization that we decided we needed to buy a CRM system. So we invited a number of vendors to come in and present their wares to us in demos. Intriguingly, by the way, only one of the five uh, companies that we looked at actually did any discovery, and that was the company we ended up licensing the technology from. However, all of the companies came in, asked for about uh, two hours with the full team present, which at that time was about eight to 10 people in terms of the principals looking at the software. Every single demo went the same way. CRM system demos all started off. Let me show you how to set things up and show you all the preferences and the settings in the system. Let me uh, show you how to start a build a record. We'll run a few campaigns. We'll add some more records. They consumed the full two hours for each demo just linearly going through as many of the capabilities as they could in that system. Now, I at that time was the head of sales. And what I was interested in um, as the output from the system were really two sets of things. Any, any idea what they were as a head of sales? How will this help you kind of store your opportunities and how much revenue are you making? Closing deals. So number two, number two is the important one. So head of sales, I'm interested in the overall forecast uh, and the pipeline going forward the next two or three quarters. 
And then additionally, I'm interested in, uh, if you will, the solidity of the individual opportunities and how each of my reps are doing. So, you know, who's who needs help in this area? Who needs help in that area? Now, two hours of demo. I never saw those reports or dashboards. And I got my team together after these demos. And I said, what'd you guys think about these demos? And they said, awful, terrible, boring, painful. And I said, I have really bad news, guys, because guess what? And what do you think? What do you think the guess what was? Any guesses? No. What we had it? been doing the same type of demos to our prospects as well. Long, wow. tortured, linear demos. Yeah. The traditional demo. Let me have an hour. I'll show you as much as I possibly can. Uh, any questions at the end? No, thanks. Mm. We're good. We'll get in touch with you. And so I said, folks, what we need to do is understand who we are presenting to in terms of the individual job titles, and then turn the traditional demo upside down. And the phrase that I'd love to offer in the book is, do the last thing first. So instead of holding all the, the reports and dashboards and displays that somebody like me as a head of sales wanted to see, instead of holding them to the very end of the demo, if you're presenting to that head of sales, present them when? Right up front, right away. So that head mm. of sales can see what's in it for them, and if it resonates, it looks interesting, it actually drives a demo forward very, very rapidly, and it turns it from a monologue into a conversation. So uh. answer to the question, you know, when did I write the book and why? Um, I wrote the book, actually originally drafted it around 2002, had it published or got it published in 2003, and now you know the answer why. Interesting. Now... One of the questions that I typically have, that was way back, let's say in 2002, obviously that the sales approach uh, in that day and time was different than how it is today, right? After especially COVID, a lot of things have moved online. Now, again, people are going back to the office, but the sales approach that used to happen in 2002 versus 2000 and let's say 23, now it's totally different. What I'm kind of getting from the conversation that you had, the experience that you had, it seemed like the demos that those uh, CRM companies by showing you were more to do like like functional demos, like how do you do things uh, rather than focusing on probably the value that the CRM would bring to someone like you, right? So obviously there are intricacies here. For example, how do you identify that? So I think this goes back to your discovery questions. So what according to you do you think are the first step with regards to discovery questions? How should people uh, do discovery? So the first, the first thing I'd recommend would be to get a copy of this fabulous book called, strangely enough, Doing Discovery, and I know the author. First is to understand that discovery needs to be a structured process that's mutually beneficial for both the prospect and the vendor. Mutually beneficial. Let me explain the diff what I, why I'm saying this. Because many, many sales conversations start off by qualifying your prospects. So this is all about are you worthy of my time as a vendor. Um, many organizations use BDRs or SDRs to perform that task, and they ask qualification questions. Is this, is this a real project? Are you the authority person in charge? Yes. Uh, is a budget allocated? Is there a timeline? Do you have a defined set of needs? And after, if you say yes to all of those, then and only then, think about the following. Let's go back sideways for a moment. Let's say you are the prospect. And you're interested in just getting an understanding of what's possible uh, out there with a new software category. You click on the book a demo button and somebody reaches out to you and then qualifies you. 
And imagine how you would feel if you if you answered honestly and said, well, it's not an active project yet. We don't have any budget yet. We're trying to define our set of needs. And they say, great, we'll send you some information. Uh, <laughs> let us know when it's serious. And you're thinking, whoa, wait a moment. I, I want to see a brief demo. I want to get an idea of what's possible in this offering. So right away, there's a disconnect. So qualification is done for the benefit of the vendor. Discovery should be perceived as being done for the benefit of both parties. Mm. And when I say a structured approach to discovery, what I mean is we need to understand um, not just what this prospect's pain is or what problems they need to solve, but we need to understand for each specific job title on the, that is, uh, let's say, relevant for the pros from the prospect's perspective, what is their overarching objective? So let's use, let's use a CRM system as our software example. And let's say we're presenting to a head of sales. So CRM system for a head of sales, what's the biggest challenge that the head of sales is facing? It's typically, uh -huh. I need to make my quarterly and annual numbers. And if this system isn't going to help me do that, I am not interested. Because I can live with things like, I don't have enough qualified leads forever if I'm making my numbers. So number one, we need to uh, we need to basically execute discovery on a per job title basis. Number two, we need to understand a top level challenge in addition to the underlying pain. We need to understand the specific capabilities this particular person or job title is looking for. Not everything in the package. Imagine a CRM system. I am, as a head of sales, I'm not interested in campaign management. I'm not interested in how to set it up. I'm not in, probably not interested truly in 95% of the capabilities. So it's the specific capabilities that I'm looking for, the reports that show me my forecast, the reports that show me my pipeline, uh, the dashboards and information enable me to see what's going on with each of my individual salespeople to see how to help and coach them. So those are top three things. Then what's the value associated with making the chain? And not, not, I want this to be faster or I want this to be cleaner or better, but the specific tangible value that enables me then to build the business case that I can take to my CFO and say, I need $100,000 for this new software. CFO says, show me the business case. And if I've done my homework, meaning if my, the vendor that's selling to me has done their homework, they have helped me define and uncover the value elements, the tangible value elements that have helped me do that. And then finally, the last element, if you will, is uh, what we call a critical date, which is not a salesperson's end of quarter on the vendor side, but it's rather the prospect's date by when they need to have a solution in place and what's driving it. So for example, if I was a head of sales and I knew I was opening a new field office, um, let's say next March, uh, March 15, that would probably be a good critical date because I would want to have that CRM plate system in place and operating on or before March 15th. So as this new office comes online and all this, you know, 25 or 50 people are, are staffing it, everything is set up and ready to go for them. So summarizing, um, discovery Discovery is where sales opportunities, in many cases, can be won or lost. And the mm -hmm. vendor who is perceived by the prospect as doing a superior job in discovery is very often in a competitively advantageous position.
So I hope mm. that that helps on that. Questions, comments, thoughts on that? I think that's that's amazing because uh, I personally believe that yes, once when you actually understand what the other person is actually looking out for, that's when you're able to deliver and you're going to have a more impactful demo because then you're going to focus on things that are actually relevant and what the person is actually wanting for. But there is one question which uh, which I do have. Uh, that's before you mentioned where, let's say a salesperson, right? SDR or BDR might want to go ahead and vet the customer first that is he worth our time or not, right? Now, obviously, there might be a lot of people that might just be researching, right? Let's say they are out just in the in the market to look at. Maybe they have no timeline, no budget. It's just maybe a, a side project that they got. But how can we identify in that scenario as an organization that, okay, these people are actually worth our time so that we can do a discovery with them? And if and we identify, okay, these guys probably are, don't have a budget or whatever. They don't have, we don't think that we, sh we should be doing a discovery. What could be the that first step before they go to discovery? So discovery should include, if you will, elements of qualification. But there's a little bit of a mm. twist. Let's go back to our example where you are the prospect, but you are, uh, if you will, just browsing. You're not yet in an active buying process. If I'm the vendor, what I recommend here is to provide for you what is known as a vision generation demo. You've clicked that book a demo button. You're expecting to get a sense of what is in this software. So I would, I would do a little bit of research. I would find out about your background, what your job title is, where you're working today, normal stuff on LinkedIn and related. Mm -hmm. And then I would put together a vision generation demo, which starts off with a, a structured example of how others with your same or similar job title used our capabilities to solve the typical problems that our software enables solutions to. And I would present that. And it, would, it takes about a minute to two minutes hey, let me share with you how we've helped other heads of sales address some of their issues with respect to lead gen and managing their forecast. They shared they were challenged uh, with X, Y, and Z. They said they were looking for the following capabilities. Well, we provided those capabilities. And what we've heard from them now is they're enjoying the following kinds of tangible rewards. And then I would say, I would ask, how does this compare with your situation? Prospect then talks for a minute or two saying, yeah, it's pretty similar there. It's a little bit different here. We talk and we're actually doing a little bit of discovery. And then I would say, hey, would you like an example or two of how these other customers are solving their problems using your tools? Prospect says, why, yes, please. That's in fact exactly why I booked, uh, clicked the book a demo button. And we show one or two or three, just a handful of key screens, key deliverables, mm -hmm. reports or dashboards not how to set the system up, just the, the, the stuff that if you were that job title, the stuff you would be, if you will, pulling every Monday morning to set up for the week. What does my forecast currently mm. look like? How, where are the important opportunities? Has my pipeline changed you know, significantly since last week, et cetera? That sets up my week. Those are the deliverables I would pull out of uh, the CRM system every week. So I would show and describe examples of those. And then I would ask, how does this resonate? What do you think? The prospect says, oh, it looks really interesting. And then I would, at that point, offer a branch. I would say, if you'd like, we can uh, invest more time to learn about your situation more specifically. In other words, let's have a more detailed mm. discovery conversation. After which, if you're, if you're seriously pursuing you know, acquiring a system, 
I can, we can plan to set up a demo that is focused on the specific capabilities you're looking to see. Okay. Hmm. On the other hand, I might, I would also offer him say, on the other hand, if you're just browsing, you're just trying to get a sense of what's possible. Um, I can plan to keep you up to date as we, you know, change things or provide new capabilities or whatsoever. I would offer, if there anything else you'd be interested in seeing today while we're on the line together, but it's quite possible this person says, wow, no, this is great. That's all I really needed to see. I just wanted to get a sense of what is possible, what's out there today. And we mutually close the call. Now, uh. there's a subtlety here. I invented a term called lead churn <laughs> about a year ago, lead churn. And that's all those leads that get qualified out early in the process by SDRs or BDRs or inside salespeople because they're not yet in an active buying process. And if they never got to see a demo, they're angry and they'll not go back to the vendor that qualified them out. And fascinatingly, those are leads that churn, if you will, out of your funnel, but before they even entered your funnel and they'll go mm. somewhere else. Conversely, if you engage your prospect, your just browsing prospect with a vision generation demo, as I described, they actually are satisfied. And so they will be predisposed to come back to you when they do enter an active buying process. So the, the fundament here is to ask the question, are, is, is this something you're interested in pursuing now? Or is this something you're just researching for the next year or so? You just ask it as a question. You don't have to be tricky hmm. about it. I think that's amazing because uh, I've seen a lot of folks, especially a lot of organizations when I get sales calls also, they, I, I personally feel that the SDR and PDR teams are trained in a fashion where they will ask you a couple of questions. Like they'll try to qualify you using some band techniques and so on. Just asking yep. you blunt questions on the face that do you have the budget? Do you have the authority? And so on. Wherein obviously then I feel that why am I wasting my time? I just want to go and see a demo. And with your approach, what I, what I see the difference is first, when we are having those SDR, BDR folks, Let's ensure that they are able to at least show the customer or the prospect something rather than say, saying zero thing, you know, we'll show you something else later. Let's show you a couple of slides, your key areas so that at least you, if you are really interested, then we can have a follow-up discussion, then have a more detailed uh, demo so that we cover specific areas. At least you are showing them what is possible on the SDR and PDR side. If they're satisfied, at least that way you can keep them in your funnel. And then when they're actually, as you mentioned, they are ready to buy or in the process actively looking for, then we might have a better scenario of winning those opportunities rather than losing them altogether. You have captured it perfectly. Perfectly. That is exactly correct. I, I personally know that a lot of organizations don't have this scenario where the SDR and BDR are probably trained to that level where they are able to show uh, probably some screens, understand the requirements. So I think your recommendation would always be to allow and train the SDR, BDR reps because they are the front gate people, right? They're talking to the prospect for the first time. So they should be having that knowledge about the plateau so they can at least show some screens and, and so on. Do you think that's an approach that organizations should take or do you think, what are your thoughts? Absolutely. That's, that's, exact, that's exactly what is described mm. as vision generation demos in great demo books. Um, mm. And it's, it's actually, it's an interesting key differentiator between vendors. So those vendors that actually provide vision generation demos and engage their prospects who are not yet in a uh, an active buying process actually enjoy improved results as, in terms of their pipeline. So 
it's a it has been a, it's a proven approach basically to okay. satisfy the prospect and and yet still reduce the uh, let's say the wasted demos that might typically happen for for organizations that offer an overview a traditional overview demo as that first mm. you know that first engagement so yeah mm. absolutely okay and then let's say once we actually get into that phase let's say we have qualified the opportunity the prospect is interested we had a great discovery you the, the five pointers you mentioned uh, the sales person probably got that or uh, they were able to gather all this information then we get into specific demos now how can people create great demos what are some probably three or five best tips that you think uh, probably a person who might be presenting the demo let's say in this scenario you said uh, if it's a crm company right how can they prepare their presentation so that they're actually great indeed so you actually answered this delightfully earlier in our discussion. You said most demos focus on how things work as opposed to what good things uh, are delivered. And great demo methodology um, starts off by trying to understand through discovery what deliverables, what outcomes, mm. what deliverables um, each individual job title and the prospect is looking for. So for example, CRM system is a great example. So we've got a head of sales. Head of sales wants uh, dashboards and reports that show the forecast pipeline and the key opportunities across the organization. Uh, a CRO would want that plus all the renewals um, expectations, right? So you know, what's the churn rate look like? What are the renewals we can count on? What are the big renewals that we need to look at? Okay, that's what the CRO is interested in. Somebody who's heading up marketing wants to understand, well, what are the, uh, which campaigns are being most effective, for example. Um, and I, so if I was the head of marketing, I would want to see a table of our campaigns over time. What was the, you know, what leads were generated, what leads were actually progressed out of those towards, you know, the next sales conversion stages. Um, so I can understand what we need to focus on. Totally different deliverables, right? Although there's something that is consistent and that is, those deliverables are all the what. They're all reports, dashboards. Mm. It's the, you know, it's the I need better visibility of the important information to run my business versus how do I execute the workflows to generate the campaign or to build a new sales opportunity. That's not what I as a VP or a director or a senior director is interested in. So this, I think the single most important starting point for a superior demo is to understand for each specific job title what deliverables they're looking for out of a system or a tool and present those deliverables right at the very beginning of the demo, mm. okay? So that's step one. Step two uh, is to prove it out. And you prove it out in a Monday morning kind of a mode. And by that, what I mean is on Monday morning, nobody goes into a CRM system. Well, except for maybe the administrator. Nobody would go into a CRM system and say, you know what? I'm going to set up my preferences today. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's done once a long time ago. And it's quite likely that you never did it. It was done for you by somebody else. Um, Monday morning, it's highly unlikely that somebody's going to come in Monday morning and say, you know what? I got to build a whole new form to display information. Highly unlikely. No. What we do on Monday morning, well, let me ask, what do you do? Monday morning, you come into your, or whatever, you come into your office. What reports, what information do you browse or access 
that helps guide the rest of your day. Yeah. So as soon as, let's say, if I log in, I would be interested to kind of see. First, I would look, look at probably my calendar to kind of understand what my schedule is going to be for the yeah. remainder part of the week. Then I'm going to identify uh, what are those key areas, for example, key deliverables that I have for this respective week that I, I need to focus on because not everything is urgent and on priority. Then I'm going to probably look at, okay, how my podcast has been performing, right? I'm going to go to my dashboard, see what happened last week and see, you know, what's the the growth been, how many new subscribers, how many watch uh, people are, are watching it and what content do I have to plan for this re remainder part of the week? So I think my Monday is mostly Perfect. spent on identifying what happened last week and planning the, the, the next few days. And you are exactly consistent with every other person on earth on Monday morning. <laughs> we're, we're looking at, you know, where, where are we? We want visibility into our current situation and the ability to plan for the next several days or weeks or months or whatsoever. Now, would you want it to take, how many clicks would you want it to take uh, in the best cases to access any, any of those reports or dashboards? How many clicks? I would expect one to, I, I definitely don't want to spend a lot of time. Yeah. So this is, so this is key takeaway. Number two, key takeaway. Number one is start with what start with the deliverables that your job title wants. Key takeaway. Number two is show them how to access those in the fewest number of clicks, hmm. fewest number of clicks. So most traditional software demos say, Hey, we've got a whole bunch of reports. Let me start off by showing you how to build your own report, like you would ever do that if you were a VP or a senior director or a director. And they spend 15 minutes showing how to build a report and they make all these other changes. No, what you show is Monday morning, how easy it is for that head of sales in one click to bring up the forecast and in one more click to take a look at the pipeline, just, just as you said. So fewest number of clicks. That's, that's idea number two. Idea number three is to then enable the conversation to take place. And we call this peeling back the layers. So for example, um, you're, my, you're the vendor, you just showed me a forecast screen and you say, hey, here's what you're looking at. Identify it for me using your annotation tools. You describe that this enables you, Kohan, uh, to be able to see exactly where your forecast is. Um, versus what you said you're doing today using Excel and, and a bunch of files on a shared drive, um, which we use. Uh, and you identify the value associated with this so that you, in a matter of you know seconds, are able to see exactly where things are and know that it's up to date, it's accurate, as opposed to wondering if you know these spreadsheets that you pulled in from Excel um, are really correct or, or how old are they. You pause and you say two things. One is, is this the kind of thing you have in mind? I say, yeah, this looks great. Mm. And then you ask um, any questions or comments or feedback so far. And this is where the conversation begins because I would say, oh yeah, is it also possible to see or access you know, my individual, the, the, say the forecast for each of my individual reps? You say, ah, absolutely. Would you like to see that? I say, yes, please. You then show me that capability. And then you summarize to say, we just showed you how to do that. Anything else you'd like to see? I say, ah, yeah, actually, I've got to prepare for a board meeting uh, in two weeks. Is there a way that I can take this forecast and pop it into a tool like PowerPoint or Google Slides? And you say, yeah, it's really, really easy. Uh, would you like to see that? I say, no, I'm, I'm good. That's fine. By the way, it's a subtlety there as well. 
So now you're turning into a conversation where the prospect is actually uh, pushing you as deep as they need to go on an individual mm. basis. So if you think about a head of sales and a CRM system software, I'm not going to need to go very deep. I want the Ooh. reports. I want the dashboards. I want to do maybe a little slicing and dicing and I'm done. I'm good. Okay. okay. Go down to one of my reports, a frontline manager, and he or she might say, okay, I want exactly those same reports from my team. And I want to be able to examine the individual opportunities and how they are progressing uh, step by step. Uh, what is, for example, the conversion time between the various sales process steps for each of my reps? That's important. I need to see that. So they're going to ask you to peel back another layer. Now we talk to the salesperson. The salesperson really doesn't care about the overall forecast the pipeline. What the salesperson cares about is how am I going to make my numbers this exactly. quarter? <laughs> exactly. And so, yeah. So they're looking at how do I, what's the best, you know, which, which um, they'd probably be asking, which of my opportunities do I need to focus on right now? Which ones are lagging? Which ones are most likely to close that I should really focus, you know, high attention on? Um, and then maybe what does my pipeline look like? Where are there new leads that I need to begin to work on? So they're another level deeper and you're peeling back the layers for them. So does this resonate so far? Man, I think these are amazing insights because there are a lot of subtleties while you were talking about, right? For example, one of the key areas that I picked up was when you are presenting to, let's say, a stakeholder, probably, you first ask open the ground by asking, you know, any, does this make sense? Or is there anything, any question, anything you'd like to see? And the prospect says, yes, I would. And then you show it. And this next time the, the prospect asks, asks you again, the same, maybe a different question, but then you as a presenter ask, do you want to see it? And the prospect says, no. I think that's very important because I've seen a lot of times what uh, a lot of people do, especially in presentations, the moment a prospect asks, they run to the screen trying to show that respective thing rather than asking, is, is that, do you just need the answer or do you want to actually see it on the screen? This is, this is huge in demos. Those of us with, with technical backgrounds feel this enormous obligation to teach people <laughs> how things work. When in fact, most people don't care. It's, it's exactly. like a, a hybrid car, hybrid car, okay, automatically moves between the gasoline engine and the electric motor and the batteries. Do you care how it decides to make that transition? No, you just care exactly. that it works and you're getting the best mileage, right? The best uh, mm. environmental payoff and mileage that you can and the fact that it should be comfortable and some other things along the lines. So you have to be very careful when you're, when you're deciding what to show. And the easiest way to be careful and decide is to ask the question. So, you know, when you're in the middle of a demo, somebody said, I remember seeing this, this is a long time ago, but I actually remember seeing this. Um, and I used to model it in, in workshops. A prospect asked one of my sales guys, can it print? Okay. This was early on. Okay. <laughs> and we were still, we were still developing the software. Um, prospect earnestly wanted to know, is, is it at the point where it can print? He says, can it print? And we had just completed implementing a really rich set of printing functionality, which we don't even need today. But what do you think the uh, the presenter did? He went through all of it. He showed, oh yeah, printing, printing is, we just put this in, it's really amazing, it's awesome. You can do this and you can do this, you can do this, you can print preview all these other ways, you can have it in different sizes of paper. I mean, he literally 
went through <laughs> that you could have eight and a half by 11, A4, A2, B, whatever it is, all, you know, all the different sizes of paper. He was so proud of it. And at the end of what was about five minutes, real time, five minutes in a demo of talking about printing capabilities, Prospect says, so the answer was yes. Real life. So yes, um, what I teach people to do is somebody asks, can it do X? You answer yes, comma, would you like to see it? And if the prospect says, no, I'm good, you're done. Exactly. <laughs> if the prospect exactly. says, um, actually, yeah, I'm interested, then you can show it. But then you still show the fewest number of clicks to execute that pathway. Let them ask, does it support you know, A4 and B4 paper? Does it support you know, a photo paper, et cetera, et cetera? Mm. Like make it, make it into a conversation. You don't have to explain everything from step one to step 10. Just get to what the prospect is asking. And then if they're exactly. interested, they'll ask and then we can show. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting. I, I've got, yeah. a, I got a mini story on that one. Mini story. Okay. This is a number of years ago. Um, I was preparing for a workshop. And for each of the workshops, teaching a great demo workshop, I do several hours of discovery with the principals and key members. I look at a handful of demos to get a sense of how they're being presented today. I often ask for a handful of discovery conversations as recordings the same way. So... I saw this one demo from, uh, let's call him Hans, because that was his name. And he had sent me a recorded demo. And it was, um, the software was organized as a wizard. So, you know, you, you would click something and they would give you the next options and you click it. Well, he executed a particular pathway and I timed things. If I recall correctly, it took 55 minutes to complete this pathway in this demo. And I connected to him uh, a week or so later, and I and we had a brief discussion. I said, "Well, it's a really full-featured wizard you have there, sir." He says, "Yeah, we're very proud of it." I said, "Would you do me a favor and just show me how somebody would execute that same pathway as if they were just doing it in day-to-day -day practice uh, Monday morning?" He says, "Sure," and he and he looks, starts up the software, and he did it in guess how many minutes? How many? Three and a half. 3.5 wow. minutes. So in 3.5 minutes, he executed the pathway that the way people would typically do it in real life versus the 55 minutes that he showed in the recorded demo. And I asked him, well, why did you show everything in that demo? He said, well, because we've been taught mm. to show all the possible options. So, you know, now if you want to do this, let me show you how to do it. Or you can do it this way. And if you want to do this other thing, I'll show you that. So he took a 3.5 minute demo uh, and stretched it out into a painful 55 minute excursion. That's that's crazy. And and one follow up question I had to the earlier statement that uh, we were talking about, right? Like based on the job roles, we go ahead and cater to them and deliver what they're looking out for. But obviously, we the kind of prospect you're dealing with, I think also has a huge impact. For example, if you're talking to someone, something like a, a small or a mid-sized company, uh, the way you would approach and talk to uh, people from their end would be different versus someone more like an enterprise kind of a, a large multinational organization with hundreds and thousands of employees, right? So is there a specific approach? Is there a, a different approach for demonstrating or presenting your product to small and mid-sized versus the enterprise? So I'm going to say no and yes. 
So okay. regardless of whether it's a, you know, a small to mid-sized um, organization or an enterprise-sized organization, the individual job titles typically actually have the same, uh, for the same job title, the same challenges. It's just hmm. a different scale. So you do need to be aware of the differences in scale and make sure that uh, the data and the examples you're using in your demo reflect the marketplace or the size of the vertical of your prospect. So that's that's one thing. Um, and along similar lines, of course, you you know if you show a banking example to a prospect that's in manufacturing, they're just going to laugh at you. They say yeah. we don't do that. Yeah. Um, but there's a subtlety here. And that is, this is really the more no portion. Um, and that is when you're, you're talking to er, uh, innovators and early adopters versus majority players, and don't even get me started with laggards, but particularly the early majority and late majority, innovators love the technology demo and they will train us to do the wrong thing for everyone else. So the innovator says, just show me everything it does. How's oh, it so cool? Mm-hmm. And, and, they're intriguing because innovators synthesize on their own uh, the applications that can be used, the problems that can be solved and the solutions. And a great example of this is, um, do you remember when iPads first were released? Uh, no, no, I don't. Please educate me. Okay, so not that long ago. Um, when the iPad first came out and people started to buy them, I had a number of colleagues that bought bought iPads, and I asked them, "What are you going to use this for?" I said, "Looks looks really cool." I said, "What are you going to use it for?" And they all said the same thing. They said, "I don't know." But within two weeks, when I talked to them again, they all I said, "What do you you know what? I, did you find an application?" They said, "Oh yeah, I'm using it too. I'm doing architectural stuff for a for a house remodel, or I'm doing you know I'm collecting all this information and I'm storing it away, and I've got it." They synthesize on their own the mm. problems and solutions that the new technology can uh, address. And so the traditional technology demo, which starts with the phrase, let me show you how this works, which was a beautiful phrase you used earlier, um, is perfect for innovators because that's what they want to know. Mm. On the other hand, the early majority, the biggest and most important markets, they will not synthesize it on their own. They are willing to address their problems, but they want to manage risk. And so they want references. They want you to perform discovery. They need to see that you understand their problems deeply and that the solutions actually directly apply. So they want what we call technical proof demos that follow a good discovery conversation. So as you move across the technology adoption curve, you need to be in alignment with the culture of your prospect. So innovators, they actually want to see, the innovators actually interested in the technology. How does the hybrid car work? It's really cool. Okay, no one else cares. Early adopters are intriguing because they share a little bit of both characteristics of innovators and early majority. But what they're most interested in is securing a competitive advantage through early adoption. So discovery for them needs to be done with a bias towards, you know, what are you hoping to achieve, not in terms of solving problems necessarily, although that's part of it. They want to solve those same problems, but faster and adopt earlier so they can, you know, enjoy those kinds of things. The early majority, well, they want to solve their problems, but they want to do it carefully and in a structured way. The late majority doesn't really want to solve their problems, but they will slowly and grudgingly. 
And the laggards, there's no point. Don't even waste your time. <laughs> so I'm deadly serious. Uh, so when you're doing your initial conversations with people, you may want to ask some cultural questions. That's something we point out in the Doing Discovery book. How does your, uh, and you can, you can, you could ask them directly. You can say, and I've asked this all the time, I, where would you place yourself in a t as the organization on the technology adoption curve? And they'll do it for you. They'll say, oh yeah, we're kind of, we're kind of risk averse. We'll probably be the, and I've heard people say, I'm, we're the late early majority, which is a terrific <laughs> phrase. We're over here. Um, you can actually also confirm or ask that question slightly differently. You can say, so what tools or what solutions have you bought over the past five years? And by hearing what they implement and when, and you can ask questions about the rollouts. So did you roll it out all once or did you do it in stages and do tuning in between? Those are, will give you cues, direct cues into the nature of the culture. So the answer to your question is really no and yes. No, that's amazing because... What I think was very powerful here was you also breaking the audience into five different categories, right? Innovators, early adopters, early majority, uh, late majority, and the last right? Yeah. Yep. yeah and, and identifying them, asking questions so that you understand where should you actually spend time. Now with the laggers, this is interesting because I think these, I just want to understand, like, how do you understand that these this prospect that I'm talking to you is a lagger, so it doesn't, I should probably not waste my time. What, what What's a key trait that we can use to probably identify those? The the key phrase is, well, laggards will never, uh, will never be inbound. Laggards are never going to seek out a solution because they don't see a problem. Okay. Mm. So it's generally, laggards are generally engaged through outbound mechanisms. And um, the easiest way to, to tell a lagger is they say, it works just fine today. Jeffrey Moore, in, in his classic book, Crossing the Chasm, used a, a beautiful phrase. Uh, he said, no compelling reason to change. Um, mm -hmm. And I have a story on that, actually, uh, maybe a good story to help wrap this up. There's a, there's a restaurant in Silicon Valley called uh, Buck's Restaurant or Buck's Cafe. I think it's Buck's Restaurant. And it's a place that... Um, that innovators would come and meet one another. They'd meet venture capital people. And it was really intriguing because when you, when you went to the, um, you went to the, what do they call it? The hostess station, the host station. Um, okay. They wouldn't yeah. say how many in your party. They would ask, who are you meeting? Mm. Which is really intriguing. And you'd say, oh, I'm meeting Barry Bunin. And, and then, oh, well, Barry's over there. So this is a place where innovators are just thriving and, and, you know, the literal uh, cocktail napkin businesses are being developed. Um, I happened to be in a meeting uh, with a gentleman, and we were having a discussion about a new business and new technologies. And I happened to watch, I was behind, at a table behind the counter, and um, behind, I should say, where the cash register system was, or the point of sale system was. And I glanced up, and I noted that the screen was a DOS screen, green, you know, font, green letters, mm. DOS. And as we got up to leave, I asked the guy, I think was, if I recall, his name was Jamis. Uh, I said, why, why are you using a DOS-based, you know, point of sale system? And he said, works just fine. No <laughs> compelling reason to change. So in this, this ferment mm. of innovation, you still have people that are, that are laggards. So the summary there is: don't even try to solve to a lagger because they 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 don't they will not change uh, 
period. <laughs> you probably have friends, relatives, maybe even parents who sit in that category. I know we are coming to the end. So there are a few questions quickly that I want to cover, right? Because these are very interesting. I've seen a lot of people doing a lot of demos over and over again. So doing a lot of demos good or doing lesser demos good? What are your thoughts? Um, our objective should, as vendors, our objective should be to secure the order, secure the business with the least expensive form of proof. So more demos adds expense. So the, our general recommendation uh, is to do enough discovery so that when you do the next demo for that job title, that's the only demo they need to see. Does that help? Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I mean, um, there's a there's a, a funny, humorous, but uh, teaching story on our website called A okay. Prospect's Tale. Um, and I'd urge people to uh, to track that down and read it. It's on the it's under the articles section of the resources tab. Um, it's called A Prospect's Tale, and in it it describes um, three scenarios. The first is where a uh, a lead churns and is angry about it. The second is a long, painful, and unsuccessful sales process. And then the third is that same lead, that same prospect, going through an absolutely delightful buying process, um, looking at elements of what is called buyer enablement, uh, where everything, of course, is a happy conclusion. So that may, that may provide mm. some insights into that. So yeah. secure the order with the least expensive form of proof. Hmm, interesting. Now, organizations that probably want to incorporate your uh, coaching, your, let's say they want to reach out to you also for workshops. So I think it's a two, two these are like two different questions in, it, in itself. The first typically being, what are some major challenges that you've noticed organizations facing before they adopt your approach, great table. Like what are some internal resistance they might face? Because obviously changing a sales cycle, the approach that you have is a different, right? Obviously every organization is different. The process is different. What are some common challenges that you've seen organizations face probably when they're trying to incorporate a training methodology like yours? And second question to this is, if an organization is interested probably to reach out to you to kind of incorporate your training sessions, how can they reach out to you? So let me answer the second question first, because it's easier. So you uh, can reach out to the organization at greatdemo.com. That's the URL, HTTPS colon front slash front slash H, you know, greatdemo.com. Um, and the full listing of workshops, access to the, very, the, the books and all that related information, as well as the articles in our blog and webinars and so forth. Now to answer your question. So I would categorize prospects out there um, in uh, three categories. Three categories. Um, number one are many, many organizations that don't even know they have a problem with their demos. Uh, they are what I would call victims of momentum. They're doing the same thing over and over and over because that's the way it's always been done. We always do a one-hour overview, overview demo. That's the way we do it. So they don't even, they're not even aware they have a problem. Hmm. By the way, that's been a lot of a good portion of my last 20 years has been trying to help those people understand you have a problem and you need <laughs> to address it. Category number two are, are organizations that realize they have a problem, but have not been able to either uh, promote it internally sufficiently um, by communicating the value of making the change, or there's other political pressures or whatsoever. 
Um, those organizations, I would urge you, if you are in that mode where you know you have a problem, uh, but you've been unsuccessful, if you will, in pursuing it internally, reach out to us. This is how we can help. It's all about buyer enabled. And then, of course, there are the organizations that uh, the third group, which I love, are the people that say, we have a problem and we know we need to address it. And they typically reach out to us and they're very, very, uh, they're often very, very direct. I had a delightful a brief discovery conversation with the head of sales who started the call by saying, by saying, and I quote, our demos suck. So um, that's one half of the answer to your question. The other half has to do with once you've done a round of training, now you've got to achieve implementation. Uh, that requires a mindset of continuous improvement and change. That requires uh, team leaders uh, and frontline managers to be enabled to coach and to put in place actually coaching practices on a regular basis. So, you know, one of the biggest failures, I think, of sales methodology training, you know, traditional sales methodology, um, is people get trained in huge, you know, 60 and 200 um, person groups at a sales kickoff meeting. And then they're, you know, rolled, they go back out in the field and there's the sound once again of crickets in an empty room because nobody's coaching, nobody's inspecting, nobody's supporting. So the success of any methodology rollout, any type of skills training is the recognition that you have to put the participants through the program. You also have to put the frontline managers through the program and then also enable them to coach. And then third, you need to have the supporting library or assets of materials that are needed by any methodology um, to enable them to actually follow the, the, the practices and to practice the skills. So those mm -hmm. are the, if you will, three categories of prospects, those who are uh, unaware, those who are aware but haven't been able to convince internally, and those who are aware and are, are actively seeking a solution. And then... With respect to training, you need to be training the participants themselves or the frontline people, training their managers both in the methodologies and how to coach and when to coach. And then again, standing up the assets that are necessary to support the rollout adoption and ongoing implementation. Interesting. All right, one of the questions, Peter, that I had for you was also on your books, right? Uh, we know that your book was published first time 2003, 2005, and then there have been enhancements made, right? So for for the people that in this day and age, uh, if there were probably some enhancements that you could make to your book, what would those new tips and tricks be? Yeah, but the first edition was published in 2003. Uh, I improved it uh, for the second edition in 2005. However, it still referenced things like modems and overhead projectors, <laughs> which don't okay. exist anywhere. Um, yeah. The third edition just came out a few months ago, and it's been heavily updated. Uh, it includes a number of new production-hardened practices, actually a fairly large number, and expands the examples and dialogue, if you will. Um, there are additional chapters and information on some particularly important areas. So, for example, storytelling in demos. Um, many people have many ideas about what you should do in terms of stories and demos. This provides some pragmatic guidance on how you can use stories to really support your key points and so forth. Um, there's, an there's an entirely new chapter on your demo environment, which talks about oh. 
the type of demo data you need to have and its and its accessibility. Um, I cannot tell you how many times I'll see dashboards that just show everything looking great. Well, that's that's not reality. You want to have problems to address and challenges to solve. Um, there's a chapter on vision generation demos, which, as we just talked about earlier in the uh, in the session, um, that talks about how and when to use them. There's also chapters on implementing the methodology, but, uh, from particularly from the perspective of being a practitioner. So. You know, it's guidance on, okay, you've now just gone through, uh, if you will, self-training, if you were reading the book um, uh, or training, if you went through a workshop, well, how do, I, how do I address this? What are the most important things to put into practice first? They're going to give me the most payoff for my, my energy investment. Um, and then there's some additional chapters that uh, weren't in the original book that I'm just going to let you discover on your own. <laughs> Interesting. One thing I want to ask you, because out of all those points that you mentioned, I think one thing that catches my attention is the storytelling, which I think is very important because I'm a podcaster. I know the importance of that. But how do you create story? Probably maybe any two or three quick pointers that you can potentially add so that the, the listeners could benefit. How can they create stories in the demos? Well, the best stories are real life experiences. And if you think mm. back or listen back over this podcast, I've actually integrated a handful of stories in this session. Uh, I talked about when we were looking for a CRM system 20 years ago. Uh, mm -hmm. I talked about the, uh, um, uh, the example of the gentleman who was showing me a wizard, uh, the mm -hmm. 55 minutes versus three and a half minutes. Stories are a terrific way of enabling something to be both memorable and remarkable and memorable in particular with respect to the idea that that, is, that story encapsulates. Hmm. So for example, there's the story of the wizard going from 55 minutes of painful torture demo to three and a half minutes in daily use mode um, is a great way of encapsulating this idea of fewest number of clicks in any particular demo pathway. So, um, this would be a great topic for another podcast. We can go into a lot more depth on this, but um, there's a lot of call from managers to do things like wrap a story around your demo. Well, generally speaking, those fail because those are just a different form of a narrative. Stories are engaging and stories actually have specific um, measurements of success. They need to have be perceived as a real experience. It needs to be relevant has to have an element of surprise, for example. There has to be some payoff at the end. Um, you know, the classic American hero story is the long version of that same thing. Um, so the storytelling in demos or storytelling in demos chapter in the book, I think people will find very, very illuminating and very, very useful. So I hope that helps. Yes. You know, Peter, this was amazing. The kind of insights you've exposed, I, I know People that basically listen to my podcast, as I mentioned at the earlier uh, beginning of our conversation, are business owners uh, most of the time and also young uh, folks that are in the working class professionals around 18 to 35. It's very interesting because I'm I'm sure this will add a lot of value because I, I still have so many questions. I still know that if I continued, I would take another easy 40, 45 minutes just trying to identify how things can improve. But maybe that's a session for another day. Uh, what Happy I, to do it. <laughs> What I want to do is, you know, really appreciate uh, you, uh, Peter, for taking your time out and joining us on the Growth Mindset Podcast. It was really a pleasure to have you. It's been my pleasure to join you.
This brings us to the end of this episode and hope you at least had one takeaway from this interview. If you have any questions or want to talk to me personally, you can find me at www.silavatirshad.com. See you soon.